Hello and welcome to the Null Sports Podcast. I am your host, Carter Carls. It is Friday, August 19th, and we are finally at the end of Florida State football's preseason camp. So excited. We're actually two days away from game week. Uh, game week before Florida State's season opener, a week zero game next Saturday, 5 p.m. at Doe Campbell Stadium against Duquesne. Uh, eight days away. It's actually going to be my first Florida State football season that I'll be covering uh, with the Tallahassee Democrat. So uh, really appreciate if you guys would like and subscribe to this podcast, uh, you know, follow along with us. Uh, we're going to try to make this a weekly occurrence. We're going to try to have a guest on each week. So I think you guys will enjoy it. And I think you guys will enjoy our first guest, which is uh, Jeff Colhane the new voice for the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, actually had a chance to go up on Wednesday up to uh, Doe Campbell Stadium. Went up into the press box, went into the radio booth, uh, sat down with Jeff for a lengthy conversation, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it, and I think you guys will enjoy him as well. I mean, um, you look around the country, um, a lot of radio guys for their school they're involved or maybe they just prepare and, and, and then they show up to the game and leave the game. That, that's about it. But that's not going to be Jeff. He's going to be heavily involved in the process. Uh, by design, Florida State and Michael Alford wanted this role to be kind of that multi-purposed role where Jeff's going to have a podcast. He's going to have a weekly radio show with Mike Norvell. Uh, and he's going to interview a player after every practice. Uh, so, uh, really good stuff from him so far. Haven't seen him already. Um, and after that, after that interview, I'm just going to kind of wrap up some thoughts about preseason camp, uh, thoughts about the defense, the offense, the special teams, and just my thoughts in general uh, about this upcoming season. So, uh, without further ado, here is Jeff Colhane. I am here with Jeff Colhane, the new voice of the Florida State Seminoles. I guess kind of new voice. You've been here for a couple months, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what's it been? It's been, it feels like six months, but it's, uh, I think it's only been one uh, to this point, maybe three, three and a half weeks. But uh, we've tried to pack a lot in and uh, hit the ground running here with uh, the upcoming season right around the corner. Yeah, the reason I say not as new is because I feel like I've seen you at every practice. You're doing all these practice reports uh, with, with the players, a new podcast. Real busy. Uh, before we get into all that, um, you know, we're, we're sitting here in the booth, the radio booth at Dope Campbell Stadium, looking out on the field. I mean, it's, it's 10 days away. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, not only is it my first game, but more importantly, it's your first game. Uh, Florida State. I mean, just how does that how does that kind of feel? Has it settled in yet? No, I, and I don't think it will, Carter, until you know the final gun goes off on Saturday night on the twenty seventh. But you know, a lot of work, uh, a lot of time. Uh, we still have work to do. I feel like I'm a coach when I'm saying this to you. I still got work to do to get ready for that first game on the twenty seventh. But I, I honestly feel with everything that has been new in my life and my family's life that being up here is probably one of the more normal feelings I'm going to have that I've that I've 
dealt with uh, with everything that's been new in our lives over the last six weeks to uh, to two months. And so I'm excited. Um, I'm more than excited. I am. I'm eagerly uh, awaiting the opportunity, and I, I just I can't wait to you know be up here and working with Bar None, William Floyd, and, and with Tom Block and our entire uh, broadcast team is is really going to be a dream come true when that uh, you know first boot meets the ball on uh, Saturday, August 27th. You came from North Dakota State. Obviously, covered some some amazing teams there, and. You've really hit the ground running. Like I mentioned, at all these practices, you're really involved with doing some really. I've I've enjoyed seeing, you know, these one-on-one interviews you do with the players uh, and even coaches after every practice. Um, and and you also started a podcast. I know you've had, uh, you know, Mike Norvell as a guest, uh, a couple others. But just I'm curious, you know, because obviously some people they they just do the radio calling or they yeah. just do, you know, the games, but you've really been involved with a whole lot of things. Was that something that you wanted to do or, or how did that all kind of come together? Yeah, I think it was, it's, it's a couple of items, you know, when going through the interview process, it was made very clear to me what the role was. And, um, there's, there's a lot of things from a media standpoint that Michael Alford, uh, the director of athletics, uh, Caleb Swan, general manager of Seminole Sports Properties, Peter Collins, the president of the Florida State Board of Trustees. You know, it, it was made pretty evident to me that, hey, this is going to be a little bit more than just calling games. I mean, we're going to – we really want this person, whomever it's going to be, to really hit the ground running and create some things for us that we don't have right now. And so, you know, you guys you guys do a great job. Yourself, your, your colleagues, and others in the media around this market, you guys cover FSU so well. You know, I'm just trying to even provide a little bit more of a look behind the curtain, you know, trying to, to really tell the success stories of Seminole athletics. And, um, you know, and, and football is obviously a, a monster and is huge, but there's great programs all over this department. I mean, you've got unbelievable women's sports programs here, amazing Olympic sports programs here. And we also wanted to have this, you know, to be sort of a beacon or a connection piece to former student athletes as well. And you mentioned some of the people we've talked to, uh, connected with Charlie Ward, with Warwick Dunn. You know, uh, some of those those big time names of of FSU football history and Seminole athletics history. And so, yeah, we just I think I really wanted to hit the ground running, and that's really how I've been, Carter. Everywhere I've been, I. I just try and get ingrained as, as quickly as possible. I love meeting people. I love building relationships. I love to be able to, um, you know, help people out wherever I can. And so um, we've, we've created a couple of things. I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface with what we really can do, but I think we're off to a pretty good start. So, you know, uh, it can be challenging to learn, a t- to learn all about a team yeah. right before a season. I can remember – when I started at the South Bend Tribune and covered Notre Dame, I was hired eight days before their season opening game against yeah. Michigan. And I didn't know anything. Yeah. And, you know, I was fortunate this time, uh, this being my first year, I had the whole spring to kind of work with to kind of, you know, understand the players and the team better. You, know, you, you, you popped in, you know, like you said, in the last month. And so I'm curious maybe what you've done to kind of um, be, be more familiar with the team 
uh, you, you know, you obviously um, have been interviewing everybody, but uh, just have you been watching, you know, former like past games? Have you been, uh, I mean, you've obviously been at every practice. How's that kind of been yeah. going? I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent, I suppose you could call it a gamble. Uh, even during the interview process, <laughs> I started to research the current team and, and the history of Florida State Athletics. And look, you know, we all have been around and watched the great Bobby Bowden teams in the 80s and 90s and have seen the success and the high levels of success across the board with uh, not only football, but, but men's and women's basketball. Florida State baseball has been to you know, a regional, I believe, 44 consecutive years, FSU softball, women's soccer, national champions. And so, you know, you, you see football, and, and, and that's obviously huge, like I said before. But we're, in, in a weird way, I think if, as just a, an average sports fan, you're, you're connected to Florida State University. And so for me, uh, I've gone back. I've watched every single game from last season. Mm-hmm. I've watched uh, all of the national championship games that FSU has played in. I've watched some of the mm-hmm. other – you know, historical games of, of note. And, you know, yes, it's it's this team in this upcoming season, but it's also as much of the history as you can take in in a short amount of time. By no means do I have it all covered. Do I have it all figured out? That's not the case. That's where I've, you know, really meeting and talking to different people closer to the program than I have been. You, you listen, you ask questions, you know, you, you hear you know, experiences from guys like Mickey Andrews and Jim Gladden, mm-hmm. some of the great defensive coaches here under Bobby Bowden, and, you know, listen to um, how they got to where they, they did and, and the work that it took to get there. And so um, that's, that's kind of been part of the process. And, you know, 10 days as we're recording, we're 10 days away. Uh, I've really, you know, dug in and immersed myself with the, the current Florida State program. I'll be ready for the game broadcast as well. But um, obviously, it's more than just uh, the current season and the current game. It, it's it's a little bit of everything when you're doing this thing. And going to all these practices, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've you've picked up a lot of things about the team that you you may have not seen on the tape last year. Because obviously, you look at a guy like Josh Farmer who comes to campus at 250 pounds. Now he's 304. You know, there's a, been a lot of changes since last year. I'm curious, maybe just since you've watched the team this preseason, what have been kind of the biggest Observations that have kind of stood out to you about the program. Yeah, I, I know that uh, this this was a a team and a uh, from a from a depth and talent standpoint. I know the coaches really addressed uh, the offensive line, really addressed uh, adding some more talent pieces to the wide receiver room. Um, you know, with the departure of Jay Sean Corbin to the National Football League, having a guy like Trey Benson from Oregon come in. Rodney Hill is a true freshman who has had a really good fall camp thus far. And, mm-hmm. you know, defensively, you gotta, you got to replace guys like, you know, Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas. Um, those are some, some huge names along the edge, specifically John, you know, Jermaine, who was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year last year. But I think what I've picked up is, you know, this is a, a year in year three where uh, Coach Norvell and company uh, are looking to take the next step forward. And the vibe you get around practice and again, in listening to others talk about what they've seen over the last couple of years, physically this group uh, looks the part when they get off the bus more so than they ever have in the last handful of years. There's a different energy and a different, different vibe around practice. The buy-in feels especially high with, uh, with everything that Coach Norvell is, 
is preaching and talking about with his vision and his blueprint for where he thinks and wants this program to go. And um, this group wants to take a big step forward. And that's part of what this place is all about, right? I mean, is this team going to win a national championship this, this year? That'd be awesome in my first year. I'd love that for, to happen. But, you know, from a wins-losses standpoint, you want to get back to a bowl game. You want to be uber competitive in, in every game that uh, that you play and win the close games that maybe you haven't won or found ways to win in years past. And so uh, I think there's a really strong understanding from the coaches of what they need to win, and there's a really strong understanding from the players of what the coach's vision is right now. There's a lot of buy-in across the board. You mentioned in an interview maybe a month ago, um, I guess maybe you'd been on the job for a little bit. It might, might have been a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned that Mike Norvell is one of the smartest coaches you've been around. Um, just wondering, like, you know, what, what about him has impressed you just – being around him, being close to him, interviewing him, talking with him, uh, what what makes him the smartest to you? Uh, I think his his understanding of what he needs to win and his overall feel for where his program is at right now. Look, I, without meeting Mike Norvell, I knew Mike Norvell knew how to score points and his offenses could move the football and and could do some amazing things an amazing player in his own right one of the great wide receivers in central arkansas history you talked about where, where you grew up he uh, went to high school i believe in the in the yep. dfw metro and so just when i'm around coach norvell um he, he when he when he when he walks in the room and when he starts talking he knows exactly what he wants he knows exactly what he's looking for and he knows how he wants to get there. And, and that's what strikes me. And uh, he's extremely intelligent when it comes to, obviously, how to win football games, extremely intelligent with his offensive system and how to set things up to create great opportunities for his offense to score, you know, set points and, and push the ball up and down the field. But I, but I, I know that... Mike Norvell just has that it factor of connecting with his players and making sure, one, that they're going to be all right as people. I mean, he, he wants to develop young men into, into great leaders, but he also wants to create a, a fantastic family as, atmosphere as well. And if you start from that, that standpoint and you're able to, to really connect with people and let them know that you care about them and how you feel about them and that they're important, you're going to bring a team together. And, and then from there, the football stuff and the physicality and the athleticism and the talent is going to stand out and shine through. You know, I, I'll give you an example of not me saying it, but when I talked to Charlie Ward on, on the podcast that we discussed, he told me, he said, and I'm, I'm not going to quote him here, but you know, he said that, there's a family type feel back in the building that we haven't had around Florida State in the same vein like we had with with Bobby Bowden, the great teams for quite some time. That's Charlie Ward saying that. Yeah. And so when he he said that to me, it really stood out that all right, there's not only a connection with the current team, but the former guys and the greats are being recognized and brought back to to be welcomed home. Number one, like they always should be but also uh, to, to connect with the current guys 
and explain what this excellence factor and excellence level is all about. So I'm going to throw a, a random question to okay. you. We'll see where this goes. All right. All right. But I just think about North Dakota State, and I just absolutely loved watching them on TV from afar, watching the college game day whenever it was there, um, you know, the big atmosphere. It's just a, a rabid fan base. Um, I don't know if there are any comparisons or, or differences you can make between North Dakota State and Florida State um, when it comes to the, the teams, the atmospheres. I am curious, though, just because of the level of success. It's at a different you mm-hmm. know, level, but mm-hmm. the level of success, success they had. Is there any you know, similarities, differences you've seen between the programs that stand out to right. you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, what I learned being around North Dakota State, NDSU, not only just football, but athletics in general, is there's a standard that is expected to be met every single season. And it's a high level of excellence. And what I really learned around around NDSU football was, yes, you have to have strong leaders at the top. You have to have great coaches that know what they're talking about, that know what they're doing. But where teams come together and take it to another level and have that consistent level of success, Carter, is you have to be a player-led program. You have to have veterans that lead the way and hold others accountable and show the young guys, this is how we do things here. And if you're not going to do it this way, you're not going to make it. And and that's what I really took away from from NDSU football with when you talk about um, how they were able to achieve what they achieved. And, and so that's why when I talk about my, my discussions with Mike Norvell and his vision for Florida State football, I get those same kind of feelings that I had when I was in Fargo. And granted, different level, Power Five, how the division is much more competitive overall, right? You know, it's a much different situation that he is in compared to what, what is going on at NDSU. So an apples and oranges from that standpoint. But it's like I said before, it feels like to me he is connecting with his players and his coaches are connecting with this group mm-hmm. to develop that trust, to develop that love, where it becomes and continues to become that player-led and player-policed program, if you will, holding each other accountable. So I want to ask a little bit about your background. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I have to tell you a funny story. When, when I was growing up, I actually wanted to be a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Didn't know about TV. I, I thought maybe radio. Yeah. And I, I used to do the dorkiest stuff. I'd mute the TV mm-hmm. and I'd announce the games. I'd play video games and I'd announce the games. Yeah. You know, and that was something that I just loved to do, always envisioned of. Um, then somehow I became a writer. Don't know how that really <laughs> happened. Um, but with you, when did you realize you you wanted to be a broadcaster, and, and how did that all come to be? You sound like me. You sound like <laughs> me. I, I, I'm not in my head as you're ta- talking about growing up and thinking about uh, what you wanted to do and, and how you watch games and broadcast. I did a lot of the same things. I mean... <laughs> Uh, I would, you know, and not even, even younger than that, growing up, 10, 11, 12 years old, um, I would do the play-by-play for my buddies' video games as I'm walking, just goofing around, having fun. Um, you know, my background, we, 
radio was always, for whatever reason, a part of my life. And my dad, growing up, wasn't a full-time radio guy, but he would he would do, you know, he, he was asked to do the high school football games as a color analyst or a high school basketball game. Mm-hmm. He was a public address announcer for our local high schools and colleges. And, mm-hmm. and so I'd tag along as a little boy, and I'd be up in the radio booth as a kid and listen to those guys call games. And I had an uncle uh, named Kevin who was in radio and TV and actually who gave me my first full-time job in, in broadcasting and in, in the, you know, the media industry out of college. Um, and my first uh, part-time radio gig, I was 14 years old in Mitchell, South Dakota at a radio station named uh, KORN, Corn. 14 years 14 old? years old, part-time, wow. part-time weekend shift playing <laughs> oldies music and reading news, weather, and sports at 14 years of age. And so... The radio was always on in the house in the mornings. It was always on when we were listening to games uh, on the weekends with uh, the high school and college teams uh, nearby. And I, you know, I don't know why that was. It just that's just, that's how it was in our household. And I remember I slept over at a friend's house when I was a kid, and they didn't have the radio on. And I thought, this is really odd. Like this is really <laughs> quiet. I'm not used to this, and I don't really like it. Um, but it just always. For again, for whatever reason, it was always a part of who I was and a part of my life. And man, I'm I'm, I'm glad that it worked. It was, and it's worked out pretty well. And I think you mentioned to me right before we recorded that you know we were talking about the games last year, and I was talking about how I was watching the Notre Dame game. You said you watched that, muted it, listened to it on the radio. Yeah. So you do that for every game still, or, or I do it for a lot of games. Yeah, I was I was mowing my lawn in Fargo, North Dakota, last Labor Day weekend, that Sunday <laughs> night, and listening to Gene Barnon and Tom on yeah. the uh, the Varsity Network app, and obviously we've got the FSU Game Day app for everybody to listen to all the games as well. So yeah, I was listening to Florida State and Notre Dame uh, <laughs> last year in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, here I am a year later in Tallahassee, replacing the great Gene Deckerhoff and following in his amazing footsteps but i'll do that yeah i will uh depends on the game you know depends on the game um i kind of like to you know to listen to broadcast and hear others uh how other broadcasts sound maybe to borrow some ideas or to to just kind of get a feel for what some people are doing here and there but i I just appreciate the talents of of all these guys that do this around the country and um so many out there that that love this stuff it's uh you know, it's kind of part of a, a brotherhood, part of a fraternity in a certain way. You mentioned Gene, and in reading up about you, you'd, you'd said that you actually, I don't know if you, you met him or if it was like you met him over the radio kind of thing. You had him on as a guest on your show in Nebraska, I think. Can you, can you tell that story? Yeah, so my, I guess, connection, if you will, to Florida State University, or at least how Florida State became really seared into my, you know, my being, my membrane, I guess. Uh, I was in Lincoln, and I was hosting a three-hour sports talk radio show on our statewide network in Nebraska. And I had a top 25, preseason top 25 segment in the summertime over a decade ago, and Florida State was in there, and I had Gene on, on my radio show. And Gene told, I just, you know, Gene, how are you? Great to have you on the show. How's your summer been? And, you know, Gene is... As great as he is, oh, all the great, you know, <laughs> told a story about he and Bobby Bowden spending time together one night, eating dinner and having a few cool drinks. I think they were on the water on Coach's boat and <laughs> spending some time together and hanging out. And it was, I always knew that my dream, my goal is I wanted to, to reach the, the highest 
place I could go, whether that was network, whether that was the biggest school, whatever that would be, and be at a place like here where the passion is, is crazy yeah. and the, the fans always want a little bit more. They're never, there's never enough, right? And, and when Gene came on my radio show and told me that story about Bobby Bowden and his relationship, it also occurred to me that I wanted to be at a place like that story Gene told, where uh, the relationships matter and you, you connect with these people in a different way. And um, that's been my experience so far here at Florida State. And that was, that was for me back in 2011, 2012, when, whatever summer that was, that, that was kind of my connect where I was like, you know what? I'd love to be at Florida State University. And I've seen Gene around still. I saw him at a baseball game, I think back in May. Yep. Been to a couple preseason practices, I think. H- have you been able to talk with him, yep. get any advice from him at all? What, what has he kind of told you? He's been great. Yeah, he's been great. We've had lunch together. We've talked on the phone a number of times. We've texted each other. In fact, he texted me this last Monday wishing me good luck on the <laughs> first coaches show uh, with Inside Seminole Football and um, he and I were at the, the first fall scrimmage together at the indoor, watching that uh, with each other. And he's been unbelievable to me. I mean, and that should, that's no surprise to people that know Gene Deckerhoff. He's an unbelievable broadcaster, but as a, as a person, it's, it's on a whole other level. And he's, he's welcomed me in. He has, he has been someone I can lean on if I have a question about things. And he's also provided me with, you know, even – uh, some of his own um, info on, on Florida State history, Florida State athletics. He sent me his, uh, his final game charts for the spring game mm. for me to take yeah. a look at with the current team and current rosters and, and players and, and all of that. And so I can't say enough good things about Gene Deckerhoff and, and what he's done for me in my short time here in Tallahassee. I went to a luncheon, I think, in May that Gene Deckerhoff was a, a guest speaker at and I mean, obviously the guy's a character, but what was so incredible about it was he could just recite all of his iconic calls by memory. I, that's probably something a lot of radio broadcasters can do, but it'd be so funny because it would be out of nowhere. It just would be, you know, he'd be talking about his, his time in Tampa Bay and then boom, it'd be, it'd be all oh, work done, you know? And, you know, you think of this, the signature calls he had, but I, I, I want to shift it to you because I, w- I was reading about how you already have one signature call, I, I believe, uh, you know, trotting there, baby. I don't know how you say it. I don't know the cadence of it. Maybe you can tell me, but also just what's kind of the story behind that call and, and how did it all yeah. happen? Yeah, and so I, I, when, when I was at North Dakota State, uh, I replaced a legend there too. His name was Scott Miller, and he sadly passed away uh, far, far too soon due to melanoma. And so it was, it was uh, you know, uh, a time where I entered um, North Dakota State, and Scott had called just called five straight national championship games, hmm. NCAA tournaments, and had been the voice of the Bison for 20 years. And his signature call, or, or tagline after a big play, was "My oh my," is what he would say. And um, and so everybody was asking me, "Hey, what's your what's your tagline?" And I and I really didn't have one. And I don't. I'm not a guy to really force things on people. Like yeah. it's just going to come organically, or it's it's just going to, you know, it's not going to come at all. I'm just going to I'm going to have I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to have energy. I'm going to give the big plays their due. And I don't remember what game it was, but. 
somebody broke a, a big run and and almost along the same lines of a, of a Deion Sanders prime time high step, they kind of started trotting into the end zone. And it, it's the first thing that came to mind, and I went with it. I just went trot in there, baby, you know, and with a little more obviously energy and inflection. And I liked how it felt. It just it kind of stuck. And so on those big plays, that's that's how I would introduce, you know, the, a big touchdown. And I did the games at NDSU with Phil Hansen, who was a Hall of Famer there, and also a Buffalo Bills Hall of Famer. Played for them on three of their four Super Bowl teams in the '90s. We got done with a game, we're on the plane, and he goes, yeah, "Trot in there, baby." Where did you hear that somewhere? I said, "No." I, I said, I "Just, it just kind of, it kind of felt right." And he goes, "He goes, I think you got something with that." Yeah. And so stuck with it, and um, you know, it's going to be part of my touchdown calls, and you know, also have I think what I want for my scene setters and my uh, my end of game final calls. But people have, will have to tune in for those yeah, to get a piece yeah, of that. Yeah. So try on there, baby, won't be for a five-yard touchdown. It'll be more like 40-yard Probably, touchdown. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless you have, unless you, have uh, you know, like we're, we're looking at uh, the end zone to our left here, and Jordan Travis maybe with a zone read that fools the entire defense, and he's running to the near pylon, and he can just essentially walk into the end zone. You might, yeah. you might get a trot in there, baby, there if, yeah. it, uh, if, the, <laughs> if the opportunity arises. Yeah. I love it. So, you know, last one, just Duquesne game coming up. How are you approaching the, the day? Are you going to do anything different than you would normally do as far as, like, maybe getting a little bit early, getting here a little bit earlier? And um, will your family be down here? Like, how, how is that all yeah. happening? I don't, I don't think I'll do much different. I, I've been preparing like I, I normally do, like I usually do for any, any football broadcast. Um, you know, I've been, been preparing more so, obviously, because I've got more to learn and more to know. And so um, I'll, have, I'll have all my notes and all my nuggets on, on Florida State, all my notes and nuggets on Duquesne, and have our broadcast format ready to go. So I, that, that runs smoothly and sounds like we've been doing it for years. And um, no, I guess for me, Carter, the, the big thing is I, I want the first one to sound like we've been here a long time together. Yeah. And that's the hope and that's the goal. And is it going to be perfect? No, it's not going to be perfect. But um, I think that's my that's my goal in these in these early games, especially with this first one. You know, can I come in and and um, you know let let folks know that that it's not going to be such a, a big change or a big transition from from a guy like Gene to myself. So you know, one thing that we do do at the at the house, we do a thing called uh, game day breakfast, where my wife Ooh. makes uh, some pancakes, like waffles, the sound of and yeah, and eggs and bacon and uh, some coffee, and because I don't eat a ton before the game, I'll, I'll have food at the house. When I leave the house, uh, I'm not going to eat much the rest of the day. So yeah. that's our family tradition, and looking forward to enjoying that with uh, our three year old Alexander and our our newborn Everett uh, as well, who who are down here in Tallahassee now. So. Good stuff, Jeff. This was uh, really great. I'm looking forward to tuning in and listening. Do you have anything you want to plug before I let you go? You know, no. I, I you know, um, for for Knowles fans looking for more, uh, check out our, our new podcast as we talked about. It's called Behind the Mic, the official podcast of FSU Athletics and all your podcast and streaming platforms. And I just wanted to. You know, thank everybody. Thank the fans. Uh, thank, thank everybody around Florida State, around the FSU media, and 
around the, the city of Tallahassee. They've been so welcoming to my family and I. Awesome, Jeff. Really appreciate you joining and uh, good luck with trotting in there, baby. Yep. Thanks, man. <laughs> appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Jeff Colhane. Really appreciate him coming on and uh, think he's going to do a great job at Florida State. And now I want to get into preseason camp and uh, offer some of my thoughts there. Not, not a lot different than the, the typical preseason camp as far as the structure. You know, you usually go into it where you kind of you kind of ease into it, have, it, have maybe a couple practices with just helmets on, a couple practices with shells on, then you go full pads, then you go full contact, have a couple scrimmages, and then that final week you kind of decrease the intensity, give the players a little bit of recovery time, and install more game week kind of stuff, scout team stuff, so that they're prepared for what the following week, the game week, will be like before the season. So it's about three, four-week stretch. Um, and Florida State did that this time. But that middle stretch really stood out to me. It was, it was a stretch where and Mike Norvell demanded a lot out of his team. There was, a, there was a stretch where he had six straight practices. The sixth practice was a scrimmage. Three days they spent in Jacksonville. Um, and the trip to Jacksonville really started to just kind of like the, the really the plan where there was to make the, the players a little bit uncomfortable, get them out of their routines. They're sleeping in, in on in you know in twin sized beds with no pillows, you know. So um, kind of kind of really emulate a camp environment, build up the team camaraderie, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was a week where Mike Norville really started to talk about the team's identity. Um, and, and he left that experience saying that the team identity was their toughness, how they were able to get through those tough stretches, how they were able to handle adversity and injuries and things like that was they, they responded well. And, you know, a couple things he pointed out to was even this week, Malik McLean, Dennis Briggs, two guys he mentioned, were hitting their top speeds this week, uh, their their top speeds in camp, which is pretty impressive um, to do that week three, week four of camp after all the stuff you've you've gone through. Uh, it speaks to the job, you know. Josh Storms, the director of strength and con- and, and conditioning for Florida State. Uh, just seems like a better team strength and conditioning wise than they've had. You've, you've seen a, a lot of players either make a sizable gain like Robert Scott at left tackle or drop a lot of weight like DJ Lundy at linebacker. And a lot of those sizable weight gains, I felt like actually made the players better. You can gain weight, you can lose weight, but sometimes it doesn't work. A lot of the players that that happened to this preseason, it seemed to make a difference for them. Um, so just to add on to the identity piece of it, um, we, won't, we don't know yet if this team's actually tough. What are they going to look like in November? We don't know. What are they going to look like if, if, if they have an injury that's big or they lose a game they don't expect? 
those are things you don't really know until you're actually in the season. Um, but what I say, what I'll say about what we do know, uh, I think this is a team that will no longer be handcuffed by their offense. And what I mean by that is the last couple of years in particular were pretty, pretty tough years for, for this offense. Um, when they didn't have Jordan Travis playing, and even when he did play, I mean, you look at the end of the year, and in both years they didn't have a 400-yard receiver. Uh, Florida State, when Mike Norvell became head coach in 2020, had one of the worst offensive lines in college football, and they've gotten better each year. Um, Alex Atkins has done a great job building up this offensive line, but still not great these last couple of years. One of the worst teams in the country in sacks allowed. Um, and uh, obviously not a lot of guys you can rely on. Last year you had seven, really, six or seven guys you could actually rely on, and they still played. They, they played 21 different combinations uh, on the offensive line last year. So uh, the depth wasn't there. Um, and so when I look at this offense and I say, well, they're not going to be handicapped anymore, I mean, they've improved at all the right positions in a way to where they're going to be an average offense probably, right? So let's just quickly look, right? Wide receiver has been probably the biggest issue in the whole roster outside of maybe offensive line. Um, but especially the last couple of years, it's, it's, it's probably been the most, I would say. And they just haven't had guys who could win one-on-one matchups. They haven't had guys who can not just get past their man, but, you know, make the catch and get open across all levels of the field, the middle of the field, uh, in the boundary, on the far side of the field, down the field. Uh, just haven't had that. It's been more of a dink and dunk kind of offense. Not a lot of explosiveness. Um, and it's been hard to kind of judge Jordan Travis with those parameters in mind. When you don't have guys who can get really get open it's, it's, and you don't have a great offensive line, like how, how, do you, how can you really judge and, and put a quarterback under the microscope? And so this year... That, this is where it's changed, right? We've seen three guys really stand out. Johnny Wilson, Malik McClain, Micah Pittman. And the guy I really want to talk about there is Johnny Wilson. Because this preseason it truly was a revelation. It felt like every day he was redefining his ceiling with the stuff that he continued to show. The problem for him, he always looked the part, 6'7", 235, Came in this offseason from Arizona State, played in the spring, kind of inconsistent. He'd have a great play. Next practice, he'd had three drops. Very hot and cold guy. But this preseason, not only did he make more plays more often, but he was doing it every practice. And there was a lot of talk about, oh, he's going to be your red zone guy. He's going to be a lot more than that this year. He's someone that can be your security blanket down the middle. He's someone that can win you a jump ball. He's a guy who um, 
you can use as a detached tight end. We talked about that with tight ends coach Chris Thompson early today. You can use him in a lot of different ways. He can catch the ball, various parts of the field. And uh, I think if I, if I had to predict who would be the leader in receiving yards this year, I would predict Johnny Wilson. Um, or at least, at least your top receiver. He may not be the leader in receiving yards, but like maybe he's your leader in receiving touchdowns. I, I think it would be him. Um, so with a better receiving core, Jordan Tom or Jordan Travis has been a better quarterback this offseason. And he also deserves credit. He's he's just more confident, making better decisions, and showing better pinpoint accuracy when it comes to kind of those one-on-one throws. Um, you, you're, sh- you're seeing him be more aggressive and test the defense more. It's not this dink and dunk screen, you know, four-yard gain stuff. Like, he's actually throwing it through tight windows. He's actually throwing it in one-on-one situations, in tight quarters, uh, and and he's been pretty successful. And uh, it's given this offense the confidence to kind of incorporate new things into the system. Uh, running back, I think you feel better about as well. Yes, you lost Jay Sean Corbin, but I don't think any player has deserved or more, more one player has earned more hype this offseason or this preseason than Lawrence Toafili. With Lawrence Toafili, you never knew, like, if he could become that complete back. You knew he had the explosiveness. You knew he had the athleticism, the wiggle, all that kind of stuff. But can he take the beating? Can he run between the tackles consistently? Can he be a three-down back for you every down, you know? And he wasn't his first two years. But Mike Norvell has been singing his praises almost every day the last couple weeks and has made it seem like he can be that. What will be interesting is up until about a week ago, Trey Benson looked like the best running back out of that group. Uh, the most complete back in my mind, he's 6'1", 215, powerful, explosive, might be the fastest uh, out of any player on the offense. I mean, he, he is a fast guy. When he gets to that second level, he's got breakaway speed. Um, the Oregon transfer, we weren't sure what we are going to see out of him, but he's really come on ever since that spring game. But, yeah, in that last week, that's where Lawrence Tofili really started to gain, scene, uh, gain some steam. So, you know, just kind of looking onward, not only do you feel good about those two guys, you feel good about Treshawn Ward. So I would expect probably still that three-man rotation, that three-man approach this coming season. So it's hard to imagine they're going to have a 1,000-yard rusher, but you're going to have more explosiveness. You're going to have better durability. You're going to have more just uh, explosive plays, I think. Uh, offensive line, uh, better uh more depth deeper again last last season you only had six or seven guys you could rely on you played 21 different combinations this offensive line 
You know, Alex Atkins deserves a lot of credit. When they took over, one of the worst in the nation. And in every season, they've gotten incrementally better. I think this season, more than ever under Norvell, they just have better insurance. They've got better guys uh, that if, if you have an injury here or there, to, to kind of fill in their place. You've seen the second and third team offensive line been a lot more competitive this preseason camp than they have been in years past. Um, and so you feel better about that group. I, I like the two two of the transfers they got in, Dimitri Emmanuel and Bless Harris. They're both pushing for uh, starting positions. Dimitri Emmanuel, more of a guard. Bless Harris, right tackle. So... Um, yeah, those are, those are kind of two guys to watch, but overall the positive with his offense is I think you can say with confidence that every position is better. Um, tight end, still an issue, not going to be a lot of production there. Have an experienced guy in Cameron McDonald. Hasn't had 300 receiving yards in the season. Hasn't had 25 catches. So I don't, you know, he's a, he's a um, good player for this program. But I, I think uh, a lot of the production you're going to see kind of fueling this offense is going to come from a guy like Johnny Wilson, Malik McClain, Trey Benson, Lawrence Tofili, Micah Pittman. Those, those are going to be the main guys. But so, yeah, just going back to it, I think the positive is – I think the offense got better. Every position got better. The question is how much better? And I think you can go position by position and say, okay, they got better, but uh, maybe only by a little. On the defensive side of the ball, the weakness, the question is, okay, no Jermaine Johnson. Okay, no Kier Thomas. What what are you going to do there? And they're not going to have a Jermaine Johnson to – to fill that guy's place. I mean, ACC defense of the player of the year, first round pick the Jets. It's hard to replicate what that guy did for this program last season. But I'd say the the positive, the strength for this defense is there's not really a glaring weakness. I mean, maybe a little bit at corner, but... You feel pretty good about the safeties. We know what Jamie Robinson can do. Akeem Dent has had a fantastic offseason. Linebacker finally started to look decent last year. And then they added Tatum Bethune, who I think, if I had to predict who would lead the team in tackles, I would predict Tatum Bethune. Um, Defensive line, you've got Fabian Lovett back. You've got Robert Cooper back at D-tackle. And then, yeah, you don't have Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas, but you like the other three defensive ends you've got in Jared Verse, Dennis Briggs, Derek McClendon, even guys like Patrick Payton, Byron Turner. They've had their moments this offseason. So um, cornerback, you got Amari Cooper, Kevin Knowles, uh, two guys who uh, got a lot of action as true freshmen and and now they're a little bit more experienced, should, should take their games to um, a little bit of a higher level this offseason or this season. Then you got Renardo Green, veteran guy who 
struggled with injuries and um, kind of uh, had a, had some position switches that that hindered him. But he's had a pretty good off season, and whether he can hold up, whether he can be your top option at cornerback, we'll see. Other guys pushing for time. There's a couple. I know everyone's going to be talking about Zarya Thomas. Very possible that that guy could end up getting that starting spot at some point in the season. But just, again, basic overview. Um, I think this is a defense that can play at a top 35 level this year. Uh, And they're going to be probably their best against the run. And against the past, I believe they haven't had a top 50 pass efficiency defense since I believe 2016 or 2017. Uh, I think that happens for them this year just because of how great your safety play is going to be. And I think the cornerbacks being a little bit more experienced, that'll help the secondary be a little bit better as well than they were last year. Um, Special teams, just real quick, uh, added some guys who they hope can take their return game to a bit better of a level this season. Micah Pittman has been a guy at punt return who, you know, did it at Oregon and, you know, shows some flashes there. Um, got some freshmen in the mix at, at punt and kick return. Sam McCall, Zaria Thomas, uh, Trey Benson's at kickoff. But, uh, Without Winston Wright returning kickoffs, I don't know if they're, if they're going to be that much better. Punt return, I think it will be better with Pittman, but uh, I don't know if he's going to be just absolutely dynamic. I think the biggest concern is probably field goal kicking. I think you like your punter, Alex Mastromano, the guy that just allergic to touchbacks. He's only had one in his first game of his career. Ryan Fitzgerald, though, been a little bit of an up-and-down offseason for him. He uh, changed his technique, went went to a two-step approach. He consulted with Graham Cano this offseason, changed his approach. Anytime you change your approach, I'm no kicking expert, but it can take a little bit for that technique to, 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 uh, to get nailed down. And, and we're just going to see what happens in the game. We've, we've seen him... Make some good kicks this preseason. You know, I, I can remember a, a 47 yarder he made that looked really good. And there's been some that uh, weren't so great. So uh, we're going to see. I know he missed a few extra points last year. So you, you want to at least have that. You want the guy to at least be accurate within 40 yards. And I think he, I think he can be better in those areas. It's just those longer field goals. I, I don't know. That that's when that technique begins to get to your head a little bit more. So we'll, we'll see uh, what that looks like. But um, that's about it. Uh, again, two more days, man. Really excited. Uh, again, we're going to try to make this a weekly thing, a weekly podcast. Um, already trying to set up our uh, guests for the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for those. And uh, like and subscribe to this podcast. Follow along as we cover the Seminoles uh, this coming season. 
really excited to be here and uh thanks for listening